the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 138. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic book news and comic book reviews from May 18th through May 31st. We have a total of four books to cover and a decent amount of news, including the solicitations to talk about. So let's just jump right into comic news. The very first thing we've got is the solicitations were released on May 19th, and as it turns out... Uh, there's a number of different things to talk about related to the solicitations. Uh, the first thing to talk about is that August will not only see the continuation of Batman Eternal with issues 18 through 21, but the first story from Scott Snyder after the conclusion of Zero Year in the main Batman title will also release. There will also be two issues of Harley Quinn released in that month. Um, for some reason, it's going to be double shipping, as well as a Secret Origins issue, uh, which will be Secret Origins number five, featuring a story about Red Hood. In addition to these ongoing titles, August solicitations also include uh, a Batman Essentials, the Dark Knight Returns special edition number one, which is described to be republished excerpt from the Dark Knight Returns as part of the 75th anniversary celebration. Now, I'm not real sure why they've decided to do that. What's the point of... Who, I mean, honestly, who's going to buy a comic that's just an excerpt of the dark Knight returns. If you could just buy the dark Knight returns to begin with, I don't know. Oh, I think it's like 99 cents. Okay. Well, even so I'm not spending 99 cents for an excerpt from yeah, it the dark like, Knight returns. It sounds like something better that they should have done during free comic book day, because that's very much what you use that for where you have this oversized issue. And they usually give three to four pages of like an upcoming comic. And I think that is better there. You're going to reach a wider audience and you're not forcing people to spend money on not a full story. So I don't know why they didn't do that. Right. And then on top of that, they've got the Batman day that's happening in uh, July, where they're going to be giving out the Batman masks at comic shops and promoting Batman left and right. So I, I don't know why they wouldn't have done something like that for July. And then I, I guess, I don't know, try if they were going to do this thing for 99 cents, do it then because you're already bringing people in because it's the Batman day. So I, I don't really understand, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, August will also see several Bat-related titles cancellations as the solicitations include the final issues for Birds of Prey and Batwing. Uh, this brings the number of New 52 Batman titles, which have been canceled to six total since the beginning of the New 52. Um, ten of the books solicited for August will, con- will come with DC Universe selfie variant covers. This is the latest in DC's monthly variant (laughs) themes for 2014. Uh, The year has progressed so far with Scribblenauts Unmasked in January, Steampunk in February, Robot Chicken in March, Mad in April, Batman 66 in May, DC Collectibles Bombshells in June, Batman 75th Anniversary in July, and now we're going to have DC Universe selfies. I, I, I just don't get it. I don't imagine a lot of these heroes walking around with cell phones to take pictures of themselves. But, you know, whatever. Um, I do also want to just randomly point out that I think it is funny that Nightwing number 30 was delayed to the end of May, but the variant cover for it was still the variant cover from that would fall in line with the group of 
covers that was in that was supposed to happen in April, because the variant cover was uh, Mr. F- Alfred E. Newman as Mr. Freeze. I just think it's interesting that you know they could have at least changed the variant cover, but I guess it doesn't matter. They already had it in the in the can, so they kept it. Um, as far as any other uh, specific solicitation information, um, there is finally a new issue of Batman Superman that is going to be that was actually solicited instead of having the three the same issue solicited three months in a row because it kept getting delayed for whatever reason. Um, Batman is going to be drawn by Matteo Scalaro while Greg Capullo and his art team take a break before they come back in October. Will Pfeiffer and Rafa Sandoval are solicited back on Red Hood. But who knows what exactly is happening because Lobdell posted a solicit with himself as the writer on his personal Facebook page. So who knows exactly what's happening there. Um, And uh, Tim Seeley confirmed that he is scripting Batman Eternal number 18 through 20, which is also going to be releasing in August as well. So, I mean, the the biggest news is that Batwing and Birds of Prey are getting canceled. Um, I'll say this. I don't know the current direction of, of Birds of Prey as far as, I mean, still can speak a lot more to that. But with Batwing, I actually have enjoyed the the new take on Batwing ever since uh, Palmiotti and Gray took over the title. Um, the problem is that, it, it's to me, the only issue I have with it is it's kind of been a slow burn. Initially, I think a lot, a lot of what we were anticipating, especially with the promotion of them coming onto the title, was that they were going to be, you know, having... Fox based a lot more in Gotham, dealing with a lot more, you know, being more involved with the actual Bat family. And for the most part, we really haven't seen a whole lot of that other than the involvement in the crossovers. Um, he's been, he has been in Gotham more than, you know, we, we, you know, previously before it was Luke Fox as Batwing. But the biggest problem, I think, with the, the series has been just the lack of focus on the main Batman universe. Yes, we have. Lucius Fox appearing, we have Batman appearing, um, we have cameos from other characters that have appeared in the book. But for the most part, even the villains, there st- still are these international villains and things like that where they're not Gotham villains, but somehow they're in Gotham. So I think that's the only downfall, but I, I, I've liked what they've done. It's kind of a shame that it is going to end. Hopefully Batwing will play a larger role in the pages of Batman Eternal since he's already appeared in Batman Eternal and the idea is to maybe focus on him a little bit more. Uh just about uh Bird of Prey. Um it's it's a bit of a bummer that they're canceling it and one of the main reasons I feel that way is because out of the characterizations that we see of Barbara Gordon, it's always been the most solid to see her in this book and she isn't as flawed as she is in her own title and like all crazy and stuff. She's very consistent and it's been great because recently Dinah stepped down as leader and appointed Batgirl as leader just because Dinah's been going through uh, some stuff with her husband and so you really have been able to see Batgirl uh, come into her own and be an awesome leader and so it just stinks. I mean... The stories are, they're decent. Um, there are some really good moments. And then there are some like, what's going on? Why is this story taking this long? And there are still some unanswered questions from Dwayne Swarzynski's run, which is slightly frustrating. I guess they'll never be answered. But it's just a bummer that, um, you know, a great team that I feel diversifies DC Comics because it is, you know, mostly female with the exception of 
um, our token male on the team. You know, that's being canceled. And then the one good characterization of Batgirl, which didn't make me cringe when I was reading it, is also being canceled. So it's just, you know, it's just a bummer. All right. And then as far as graphic novel and trade paperbacks, we have those listed on the site for you to check out. Just look for TBU graphic novel and trade advanced solicitations released under comic news if you want to check it out there is a ton of stuff that was announced that is coming out a lot of the new 52 stuff um going into volume fours and fives of certain things so check that out um the next thing we've got on the website is on may 20th uh, we at the batmanuniverse.net i specifically don uh who as you know formerly was on the comic cast posted up an exclusive interview with devin grayson now if you are a newer Batman fan and you're unaware of who Devin Grayson is. Uh, Devin Grayson was very, uh, she was a prominent writer involved in the Batman universe in the late nineties and early two thousands. Um, she originally started right. Well, she originally was the writer on Gotham Knights. She also wrote for Catwoman, Batman and Arsenal plus and the Nightwing Huntress four part miniseries. But uh, her most prominent runs within the Batman universe were the Titans and Nightwing. Um, there's a lot of controversial stuff that happened within her run. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I will direct you to the site to check out the interview because it's a very depth. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, talk about it over, you know, all over the internet because of some of the questions that Don asked. This is one of the first interviews she's done, even though it's been about 10 years since she was last on a book. Um, she's kind of talked about some of the, I guess, things that she may have made mistakes on that she would have changed if she was going to do it over again, things like that. So definitely take a look at the interview if you're uh, a Batman fan who is who is knowledgeable with the Nightwing run prior to the New 52. The next one we've got is there was an article also written on the site. Uh, this one was done by uh, one of our new staff members, Terry. Uh, he wrote up an article on the site about uh, Forever Evil's consequences for the Batman universe. It's pretty in-depth. It's talking about, especially, this is a really good article for you to check out specifically if you did not pick up Forever Evil, if you didn't pick up Forever Evil Arkham War, or the one shot that came out, uh, Forever Evil, Arkham War, Batman vs. Bane. Um, and you want to know exactly what happened with the end of Forever Evil, how it impacts specific characters within the Batman universe. You should definitely check out this article. It's a very in-depth look at how Forever Evil affects Nightwing, Catwoman, Red Robin, Teen Titans, um, the, the villains that were involved in Arkham War. Um, how Lex Luthor, well, we can just say it because at this point it's been out, um, how Lex Luthor knows the identity of Batman um, because of Forever Evil. Um, It also deals with some other things within the DC Universe that are still Batman-related in some way, Owlman, and and references to uh, the Anti-Monitor and a possible future crisis. So definitely check out the article. Very in-depth. Mad props to Terry for the article. Um, definitely check that out. All right. Uh, the next thing we've got is, uh, the, well, really the last thing I want to talk about, um, we're going to talk about in a second, Nightwing number 30. We're not going to review it because as we've said in the past, um, we're going to stick with the Batman specific books for now. Um, it's still undetermined whether or not we'll pick Grayson at, uh, once July rolls around, but at this point we're not covering Nightwing. But Nightwing 30 did come out, and this was supposed to be kind of the, I guess, the bookend to what happened at the end of Forever Evil and how it affects Dick Grayson and what is to come for Dick Grayson. Um, so we'll talk about the issue in the fr- in a second, but 
It's important to note that originally when this, the issue was announced, um, James Tinian the Fourth was going to be writing it, and Megan Hetrick was going to be doing the art for the issue. Um, the issue was delayed for whatever reason. Either it, I mean, we still don't know the 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 specific reason for the the changes. But, um, Tim Seeley and Tom King, who are going to be writing the Grayson series, ended up writing this. Uh, writing Nightwing number 30 instead with a, a number of different artists taking different parts of the book. Um, part one was kind of the, you know, past. Uh, part two was kind of the present. Part three was kind of the, the going forward leading into Grayson. But uh, what's kind of interesting is that the original art from uh, Tinian's and uh, Hetrick's work has made it online. Uh, we have it on the website for you to check out. Um, it's a, definitely a different story than what actually takes place in the pages of Nightwing number thirty. Um, with basically, it was it, it. It's almost as if the entire point of the art, the issue was to basically have a send off for Grayson, even though he wasn't supposed to die, as it's shown in this. Uh, the original one. Um, everyone is supposed to assume that he's dead. They actually have a funeral. They show the relationship between Barbara, Jason, and Tim. They all have them reacting to uh, to Dick's death. Um, and then even the final page of the issue had the Justice League attending the funeral and lowering his casket into the ground. Now, like I said, it wasn't really him. Turns out Batman had him cloned or something, and that they could put his body. They could put a body into the into the ground. It's a life model uh, decoy. The, the the biggest thing to note, though, is when looking at the art, there's no dialogue presence. You don't know exactly what happened. Um, you just know that you can just see the art and get an idea of the, you know, the direction that it was going. But uh, it's important to note that. Um, but I want to talk about Nightwing 30. Uh, we're just going to talk about it briefly. So the beginning of the issue basically started out with Leslie Tompkins talking about how she was basically on kind of like a humanitarian mission in the Congo when she comes across a clan called the Fist Clan, Fist of Cain, I believe it was the clan. And basically it's a group of serial murderers from all over the world that basically they get points for killing different people. Um, so basically what happens is um, she's being attacked randomly. She gets saved by somebody um, we don't know who the person is. She doesn't look like she's a character that we've seen before. Um, and then she's telling Batman this story about how she went to this organization. Um, the organization had a symbol of a spider web with an eyeball in the middle. And they saved her. But then she woke up a couple weeks later in a hospital and, and could barely remember anything. And she just started to remember it now. Uh, we then cut to the present time where Dick Grayson... And Batman are basically arguing about the the fate and the future of Dick Grayson as a hero or as anybody. And basically, Batman says that he has that Dick Grayson has to stay dead. Nobody can know that he's alive, and that he has to go work for Spiral because Batman can't trust Spiral's intentions, and he needs somebody in on the inside. Then the last part of the book shows Dick Grayson in not in his costume of Nightwing going around taking out these Fist of Cain people from all over the, you know, all over different places of the world and talking about how he basically is, you know, he is who he is because of everything that has happened in his life. And at the end of the issue, he gets approached by 
somebody who says that uh, they have a mission for him, and it's the same person who saved Leslie Tompkins in the beginning. Now, I don't remember off the top of my head if it was specifically mentioned in the title, but the person who saved Leslie Tompkins and approaches Nightwing at the end of the issue is, in fact, Helena Bertinelli within the New 52. This is not the Helena Wayne Huntress that we've seen in World's Finest, but this is the New 52 version of Earth Prime Helena Bertinelli. Or I don't even know that they're going to be calling her Huntress. I think they're just going to be calling her Helena Bertinelli. But uh, this is her. Um, and like I said, I don't remember if it was mentioned in the book. I mean, she's wearing the the, the very prominent white uh, white cross across her chest, similar to what we know of Huntress wearing in the past. Um, and then also because Tim Seeley said in the pages or in on his Twitter account that that was, in fact, Alina Bertinelli, and this is going to be Dick Grayson's partner within Spiral, which we already knew based off previous interviews. So that's basically what happened in the issue in a nutshell. Thoughts on just what happened in the issue? Um, I don't know. I, I, I It was fine, I guess, but it really didn't. This seemed more like uh, it would have been a better fit if this was Grayson number one than Nightwing number 30. Um, I, this didn't seem to wrap up anything that happened in, in the Nightwing book. This seemed mm-hmm. to be start off the Grayson book. Um, so I think that if this was Grayson number one, I would have been more accepting of it. Um, as it was, it, it was fine, I guess. The fight scene between Dick and Bruce is a little too much. I mean, uh, I think I think that's you know I don't think they're trying to kill each other, which is almost what they're trying to do in this. But yeah, it just it seemed like Grayson number one, not Nightwing number thirty. And I wish, after looking at the art, we had got a chance to see kind of a. A Nightwing wrap-up story, even though we all know he's not dead, I think that would have been uh, a more fitting uh, for that for Kyle Higgins' book. This was a weird book for me. I I don't know. Um, coming into it, I guess I I just like you know Ed was saying. I guess I I would have expected some sort of continuation from the last book, um, potentially you know on the the tail feathers of you know that little girl and just seeing you know how she's doing now or just a transition somehow. Um, but to throw us, to thrust us right in to a character that I feel like we haven't really seen in the new 52. Is this the first time we've seen Wesley Tompkins? It's not the first time we've seen her, but okay. I mean, this, I mean, this is probably more prominent the than most that we've seen. Yeah. Before. So we're, you know, we're seeing this younger person who like just doesn't look like Wesley Tompkins to me and just these really bizarre villains. Like that one guy was riding another guy like a horse. I don't even know. Um, and then all of that stuff happening and me not really even connecting Helena. I mean, the first time you see her, sure, she has a crossbow, but like her hair is more like an afro and, and it just doesn't, I don't know, it's not very prominent that, hey, that's Helena Bertinelli, uh, especially with the um, uh, the mask that she has on and everything. And then somehow taking that, that craziness and transitioning to, I mean, she was potentially uh, subliminally tortured and revealed some, maybe some secrets about Bruce Wayne. We don't really know. And then transitioning from there to Batman and Dick Grace, it seems like three very different storylines are somehow made or forced to go together. And I never really saw, like, the link just doesn't work for me. Um, I feel like... It's great at the end with Dick and Bruce. I think the very end, just um, that bonding moment is good. But to have them, quote, bond, end quote, over, like, 
fisticuffs and like super violent fisticuffs because look at that one scene where Nightwing's like tearing off his his domino mask I mean like his face is super jacked up it's like I don't know it looks like something out of Superman Doomsday I mean why why is that necessary I feel like the last time we saw Batman fight a Robin was during all of those reckonings and I feel like we're past that so why is it why is this the why is there a need for them to fight it out I feel like that even though they may have talked about it, I feel like it, there is just no need for it. And again, I just think it's really cruel. This is something I talked about on Backroll Oracle with Michael Bailey. Just the fact that um, I think there are just certain people that should be let in on it. I mean, it, it was emotionally wrenching to see like Alfred and just what he was going through and Batman like locking him out and everything and Alfred breaking down. I, I think that I understand what Batman's trying to do. The less people that know, the better. But I mean, who is Alfred going to tell? And and I think there are some people that deserve to to know that secret. And, and for Batman to be the only one is selfish and cruel, in in my opinion. But this in no way makes me excited for Spiral. Um, in fact, it made me less excited because if it's going to be this like scatterbrained, then or just scattered throughout, then it, it, it Spiral I think may be a difficult read. Here, here's my thoughts on it. One, I wasn't a big fan of the art for the first part or the second part. The third part wasn't bad. Um, I I think that the Helena Bertinelli portrayed in the third part, or I, I should say in the very last part of the book, um, I thought that was pretty well done. It was much better than the random girl who pops up who's basically standing there like, or she's she the way she's sitting in that first image it reminds me of like a, a gorilla or something <laughs> because of the way like her legs are compared to her arms the weird mask that she's wearing on the face the mm-hmm. fact that she is her shirt is completely unbuttoned and everything's hanging out doesn't make a lot of sense now the way she was portrayed at the end of the book I like that and I think that was good specifically because the artist who did the last part of the issue uh, Michael Jannon he's doing the art for Grayson. So that's at least one thing to look forward to with Grayson. Um, I don't know. The, the thing is, Spiral is not an organization that has had a lot of history. Yes, it's it was prominent within Grant Morrison's story. It popped up a couple times here and there. It was very prominent towards the end of Batman Incorporated uh, with the, you know, the final dealings of what happened. But for the most part, we don't know a lot about it. So there's plenty of room for them to do whatever they want. But at the same time, we've seen this happened before where somebody takes something that somebody else created and they mold it into more than what it was doesn't always work out sometimes it it works out really badly and there's not a whole lot you can do with it um so for the most part um i'm hoping that this this works out well um but that but the biggest thing i i have a problem with is the way the Dick Grayson Batman fight took place. Mm -hmm. The art, the dialogue did not match up at all. None of it made any sense. It almost felt like somebody wrote the script for the dialogue and then didn't leave any kind of remarks about what the art should actually be. And they just said, write a fight scene. And then they plugged in the dialogue, you know, every other, you know, plugged in the dialogue for the characters every panel. And that was just where it happened. It did not flow right for me. It didn't flow right at all. It, it really felt like there there were certain times where Nightwing. I mean, obviously they at least had the 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 dialogue bubbles linked up to the place where they should have been. You know, Nightwing was speaking in a panel that was Nightwing, but there was panels and uh, some of this uh, comes from uh, 
Don actually reviewed this on the website, and he gave a pretty in-depth kind of dissection of of the fight scene in his review. But a lot of times there was points where uh, Dick would be spitting up blood because he got hit so hard. But But in that same panel, he's speaking this giant blurb of words. And like, yeah, okay, fine. It doesn't always have to match up. And obviously you could still talk and spit blood at the same time. You can't have everything. This isn't animation after all. But... I don't know. The whole flow of it didn't make any sense. There was no real explanation of why they were fucking each other to the point where they were literally, it really seemed like they were trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were throwing each other on top of the Batmobile. They were throwing each other into things. I, I mean, like Batman literally kicks Dick in the face and then Dick flies off uh, a platform into Jason Todd's memorial case. What, what is the reason for that? Is the reason to you know it doesn't it, it in the dialogue it never is made clear that that uh, Batman is saying you have to but you have to beat me in order for it to go your way and if I win it goes my way and you will be a agent of spiral it's never said at all it's just here we're introduced to these two Alfred is locked out he can't come down Dixon the Batcave and they they basically wrap up their 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 fists and they just start going at each other. And then there, there's this big dialogue that takes place during this entire fight, which again, didn't make sense for it. What was going on? So my concern is that, and I don't know this for sure. I, I want to say, I read that Tim Seeley said that he wrote the first part, Tom King, the co-writer for Grayson wrote the second part. And then they both kind of mishmashed and wrote the third part. Mm. If Tom King wrote the second part, Tom King needs to stick to being a co-writer and not write specific sections himself because I don't think that that was good at all. It made absolutely no sense. There was no reason it needed to happen. Um, if Dick came back and, – and the thing is they never even really like discussed the fact of what happened at the Forever Evil. They just said, you're dead. Now you're going to become an agent of Spiral and that's it. And then they're fighting the entire time. They never said you know, how it goes from – him, you know, everyone thinking he's dead. They, you know, they have to produce a body if everyone thinks he's dead. They don't discuss that. They don't discuss how he gets from, you know, uh, point A in the end of Forever Evil after Lex Luthor saves his life to point B in the Batcave without anybody knowing about it. They don't discuss, you know, what everybody else's reactions to him being dead are because that's not something you would be discussing in Grayson. So this would be the perfect place to discuss it in the last issue of Nightwing. So I don't know. I don't want to go on too much, but it's really, I didn't really like it at all. That's, and that's one of the main reasons why we're not reviewing it. But like I said, over on the website, Don did review it and he gave it one out of five batterings. So if you do want a actual review and not just our thoughts, be sure to head over to the website and check out Don's review of Nightwing number 30. All right. So, Go ahead. I was just going to say, what did he say that he likes to get a one? He didn't really say anything. Oh, okay. Liked. He just didn't want to give it a zero. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Is that I mean, the he way? Said, he said in the last the last sentence in his article was avoid at all costs. Oh, okay. Personally, if I wrote that, I would probably give it a zero, but I don't think he wanted to be that negative. Now, I know you're more of a Batman fan, but as a Nightwing fan, I mean, is is that – do you think you would feel like at all like yeah that's the way I would want to see him go out fighting Batman and then moving on? Me myself? Yeah. No, I would <laughs> I think this was a horrible ending. I mean the fact that one we had to wait an extra month to see this issue. And I know part of it had to do with the the fact that Forever Evil was delayed even though 
anybody could have guessed at the end of Forever Evil number six that Nightwing was going to live. Um, the fact that we had to wait a month for this and it's not really concluding anything. I mean, like Kyle Higgins did a better job in issue 29 wrapping things up than this did. This didn't wrap anything up. Like, like it was said, this is basically just looking forward to mm-hmm. Grayson. It's not doing anything. It's not con- doing any sort of conclusion for the Nightwing series. It's not concluding the Nightwing character. It's not doing anything. It's basically like Grayson number zero. And I think that's kind of a bad way to go out right. for a character who has been Nightwing for, you know, 20 plus years. So, mm-hmm. What do you think the, the way would have been? What would you, and Ed too, as well, uh, what do you think the story should have been? I, I mean, for, for me, I think the, the original issue, I, mean, I, I don't know what the dialogue was, but the original issue that Tinian and uh, Hetrick did, uh, after seeing the art for that, I think that that was a much better way to go out. You know, at least you have the conclusion of some of the relationships between, you know, Barbara, Jason, and Tim with Dick. Even if you think he's dead, which you know I don't necessarily completely agree with. I think the whole idea of Batman being the only person I, I agree with you. So I think it's really selfish that he's doing this. Mm-hmm. But I think that they we should have seen their reactions because we're not going to see them anywhere else. This should have been the book that we saw them. In. Yeah. We're not seeing them. They're not gonna. It's not gonna. Uh, you know, it's not gonna happen in the pages of Batgirl. It's not gonna happen in the pages of Teen Titans. It's not gonna happen in the pages of Red Hood and the Outlaws. Yeah. This is, should have been the book that we should have saw that. So, at the very least, we should have saw something dealing with his relationships with those characters. And then, in, in another way, we should have got a little bit more explanation of why this needs to be something that that Batman needs him to do and that nobody else can know that he's alive because there's no explanation here. It's just this is the way it has to be because I'm Batman. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the problem. This is this is definitely Grayson number zero. It's not Nightwing number three. It has nothing to do with Nightwing, you know? I, I would have, although I would have liked to have seen the reaction pieces that you guys are talking about, if for whatever reason they were just dead set on not showing us them, then they could have done some retrospective look at his, as his time as Nightwing, you know? Um, that would have been they, fine I, with me. I think they tried to do that in the last part where like, he's talking bad. about his history, it's but it's, executed. yeah, it's very poorly executed. I, I mean, just, you could done the whole thing. And as far as the backing this up because of forever evil, they put out a solicitation for grace in what, three months ago. Oh yeah. So, I mean, that excuse doesn't even hold water for me anymore. Like, well, we don't want to ruin it for anybody who didn't see a solicitation. I mean, come on. If you want to find out information out there, um, Again, if this had been Grayson number zero, I probably would, wouldn't. I still probably wouldn't have liked it, but I wouldn't have hated it as much as I did. It just felt out of place, and, and I guess it comes to the fact that I really enjoyed Kyle Higgins' run on Nightwing, mm-hmm. and I think that the end of his series deserved a better book to cap it off. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if maybe they're shying away um, from having character reactions because we just had dealt with Robin Reckoning, and that had crossed over. And I know you're not reading Batgirl anymore, but Batgirl thirty. Uh, which was actually written by Marguerite Bennett, that focused, um, I mean, throughout there was obviously a villain and everything, but Barbara kept tying it to, like, her relationship with Dick and and grieving over him and reflecting back on her history. So at least that was, um, they they used Batgirl to to do that, but I, I don't know if they're, I guess they're not doing it for Red Hood. That's kind of, I guess it's just a Batgirl thing, which, I, you know, they have a close relationship, so I'm glad that they at least showed some of a reaction and i'm still reading batgirl okay. but it's 
Mm-hmm. No, it it, it wasn't it. it wasn't the best. Like it definitely <laughs> could have been better, but I'm glad that they actually addressed it. But it could have been like yeah. a better story. Yeah, but I still don't. What's the what's the point of of quote quote even fake killing Dick Grayson if you're not getting any bother to get anyone's reaction to it? Yeah. Oh yeah. What's the point? We're on the same boat. Yeah, it's basically let, let's do it so that we can. I mean, I, I really is just let's lead everyone to believe it's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. So there's no reason for the reactions. Right. And it's just like, let's pull the wool over our eyes. But anyway. All right. So with that, that is all the news we've got. Uh, let's jump straight into our books. The very first book we've got is Batman and Robin number 31. Okay. Batman and Robin 31. Also titled Batman and Frankenstein 31, The Hunt for Robin, City of Gold. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, guest penciler Doug Monke, or just Monk. Uh, guest inker Christian Alamy with Keith Champagne and colorist John Kalitz. Batman and Titus burst through the ice of the Yellow Sea and make their way to Nanda Parbat, following the tracker that Batman shot into Rachel al Ghul. Nanda Parbat is gone. See Justice League Dark 29 for the deets, because I don't know them. But Frankenstein happens to be there, and he is still sore over Batman experimenting on him way back when. Batman explains that he was in a bad place, blinded by grief, and he apologizes, and he tells Titus to stop nibbling on Frankenstein. Both Frankenstein and Batman relive the memories they have had of Nanda Parbat, Frank at, Frankenstein as a lab rat, and Batman taking part in the Thogol ritual, which we had heard about elsewhere, specifically the stage of Yang-Ti, where he experiences death and rebirth. Batman explains Raish's plans, and Frankenstein agrees to help in his search. Elsewhere, uh, Raish continues the ceremony that he started on Themyscira, but this time without interruption. Suddenly, the, a bunch of Yeti-like creatures attack the two, uh, Frankenstein and Batman, that is, and they fight back until Batman notices some defensive wounds that they did not cause. So Batman tells Frankenstein to put down his weapons and show that they mean no harm. Batman draws some figures in the snow, and the Yetis agree to help and show him where Raish is. But it is too late. Next, Dark of the Sun, S-O-N. Okay. How did you like this appearance of Frankenstein compared to the one that we had before, which I I guess it was Batman and Red Robin, I think. Uh, And do you agree with his anger that he had first and then ultimately his decision to help Batman? I think that Frankenstein's anger towards Batman is completely justified, especially since Batman literally just left him in pieces all over <laughs> yeah. the table. Um, I think it is kind of cool that we got the explanation that the reason the way he was put back together was Tim Drake putting mm-hmm. sewing him back together, and that it took Tim Drake's twenty seven hours. No wonder Tim Drake was ticked at Batman after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it, it it does make sense because I think Frankenstein is fully aware of who Batman is and the type of person he is. And the fact that Batman apologizes to him I think is enough for Frankenstein. Frankenstein doesn't seem to be one of those people who's going to hold a grudge unless the person's still you know on his bad side. And the fact that he, Batman did the thing that you wouldn't expect Batman to do and apologize – I think it showed something to Frankenstein, so he was able to forgive him and you know work with him. I think it made sense. Yeah, you know, I I agree with Dustin. Um, I, I, it was nice to see this kind of wrap up of you know what had happened to him and, and that Tim had put him back together. Um, 
I think that Frankenstein, you know, if, if you're reading JLD, uh, Justice League Dark, and you kind of this all kind of does make a lot more sense, especially after everything they've they've gone through in Forever Evil. Um, yeah, so I I do think it makes sense. I, I think that maybe he may have smacked him around a little bit more, but Frankenstein is is kind of shown in, in all the other titles he's been in to be a a genuinely heroic character. So I think for him not to help Batman uh, with his dead son would have been completely out of character. So no, it was handled well. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. Um, it was a little shocking though to see him pop up. Um, definitely like a Deus Ex Machina, just whoop here he is, and just goes and fights him. But I I too would be pretty upset if I were just laying in pieces and then I had to have someone uh, stitch me up. Um, and it was great that you know he's able to get past all of that and and uh, help Batman out. Though I do wonder like it. You know, I, I wonder if maybe it would have been more interesting if he were super stubborn and said, no, I'm not helping you with this and walked off. And then there's like the Yeti battle and then maybe like Frankenstein came back and helped him. That would have been potentially more interesting. But it works out like this since this is a team book. Um, my second question, what do you think about the setting of Nanda Parbat? Uh, just that, you know, the history of it and how it – oh, the history. The history. Uh, how it relates to Batman and Frankenstein because they've obviously had different experiences and that Raish has come there and, and he's going to use that to resurrect. So thoughts on the setting of Nanda Parbat? And I don't have much thoughts. I mean, I think it was shown pretty well that they both have extensive history. Well, not extensive, but they both have history. Nanda Parbat, um, I don't know that they did a good enough, a well enough job showing the, you know, saying, you know, Batman came here to learn a certain way of uh, meditate or a certain type of meditation to basically make himself appear as if he's dead. They didn't really do a good enough job explaining everything that he, I, that's not the only thing he was there for. So I think that they should have done a little bit better job explaining why. And I also think it's kind of odd that they randomly say, Hey, uh, Nanda Paravat's gone. See Justice League number 29, yeah. which was two months ago. They should have just made a little bit more mention about why it's gone or where it has gone instead of it's gone and somehow Ra's al Ghul is still using it, but it's not there. So there's that element, but I, you know, for the most part, um, there's they clearly are trying to use as many locales within the DC universe, but outside of you know the continental US that we typically see. They're trying to use that, you know, at Themyscira, we had the ocean, you know, for when we had the Aquaman issue. So clearly that's what they're trying to do. And, you know, I'm okay with that. But um, if you're new to the New 52, you don't know anything about Nanda Parabet if you're a Batman fan. And that's all you read. You don't know anything about Nanda Parabet because nothing's been mentioned about it. So they should have done a little bit better job to the, for the people who are coming in that who are new so it's not just a throwaway place because it is a pretty important place within the new within the DC universe not just for Batman Batman does have you know history there so I think they should have done a little bit better job how do I say this um I, yeah, not to come across as negative um I didn't think it was, I mean it's fine if you want to use it as, as kind of like the background but I, I think, like like Dustin mentioned, you've really got this this feeling that, and and I don't want to. I really enjoyed the issue, but you had this feeling over the past couple months with Antarctica and Themyscira that that's you know Tomasi is standing there with a hammer hitting you over the head, going, 
this is epic. Look, we're we're here now. You know, like look look at how amazing this is. Um, and I think it's it's not really necessary. Um, like you said, it, you have to reference an, an issue of Justice League that happened two months ago. And if you were just reading New Fifty Two Batman, you'd have no idea what this place was. So um, I don't dislike it in the story, but I don't really feel the need for it. To be honest. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an interesting setting. Um, and and since everyone knows what it is and that it is so important not only to Batman obviously but I think to a lot of characters I also think of the question but potentially the question maybe has no relation to it anymore since there is no question in New 52 um, but it, it's just interesting that um, Frankenstein had a past with that um, and, and I guess it's within that within the comics um, but it, it just seemed like let's try to fit him in somehow, like shoehorn him in, and all of that. Um, but I guess it's Raish. It was so little with Raish compared to last time that I wondered if this was the second point, uh, the second like the remember in the the one of Themyscira, like it's uh, I can't remember what he called it, but like a nexus point almost, and it's like super yeah. special, and you can only assume. But he doesn't really talk about it. Uh, but he's doing the same ceremony, so you can only assume that that's it. But I hope that we we get to know more of his history with Nanda Parbat. I think that would be good. Dustin, do you remember the last time we talked about Yang T? I remember it being in an issue like recently, and I remember like Dick Grayson and I think Tim were talking about Bruce when I don't know that they were freaked out by this like death thing, or am I like? Did I read something else? Maybe was it Batman and Son? I think it was Batman and Son. Okay, because I recently read something. Okay, so they're pulling it from there then. Yeah, I mean, it, okay. they, it, it's not it's not something that that is that old, but it's it. I mean, it's it it is something that is it's not something that like extends way back into the past. You know, you have to go back to like the the seventies or something to understand Batman's history with and a pair bat. But at the same time. That there's it's 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 old enough where and it's kind of like an obscure thing where if you don't know where it is you're not going to know where to look so yeah okay that's all i have all right so batman and robin number 31 i'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batteries i'm gonna give it three out of five batteries and I will second Ed and give it a 3 out of 5. All right. And so that will give Batman and Robin number 31 a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman number 31. Batman number 31, Zero Year, Savage City. Writer Scott Snyder, art Greg Capullo. Um, this issue opens with Lucius Fox coming to the decision that he is going to challenge the Riddler that day. Uh, before he can get around to, around to do it, however, Batman arrives at his home with Jim Gordon and the rest of the crew that we saw from last issue in tow. Uh, Lucius tells them that there's only one way to trace the Riddler's signal back to the source, uh, because they only have one place where they know it, the signal will be running at, and that's the uh, the tower where he accepts challenges. But they would need him to keep the uh, keep keep the the uh, broadcast open for at least ten minutes to trace the signal back. Um, Batman says he has some shopping to do, and he will meet them meet them back there. Uh, we didn't see like a one-page, very brief flashback to uh, Bruce in class when he was was younger. Um, we then come back to Riddler's Tower uh, later that day, and he is asking the assembled crowd if there's anyone out there that is going to challenge him on, on that day. 
Uh, Batman appears from the crowd on his motorcycle and announces that he will be the, the challenger for today. Um, Jim Gordon radios down to Batman that they have put the tracer in place in the Riddler's tower, but they will need him, the Riddler to keep talking for at least 19 minutes to get a fix in his location. Uh, Batman tries to engage the Riddler by telling him the story of the Riddler's own life in the form of Riddle, which leads to Nigma eventually trying to turn the tables on Batman and, and playing armchair psychologist with him, you know, saying that this is where he must be trained and, and making these kind of grandiose deductions about his, uh, his past, which are, you know, all wrong, but he, he does a good job of trying. Uh, Nigma finally tires of the game though, and, and opens the trap door beneath Batman's feet. Um, Batman falls then into the pit and, uh, he tells him that he's upgraded from, from jackals to lions in the pit, which is a, bit more of a problem now we go back in the flashback kind of proper and we see that that young bruce is in class and he's dealing with a problem a math problem that concerns a bullet and wind shear affecting the, the bullet um the question is is causing bruce a, a, a lot of problems almost like waking nightmares you know about relating back to the to death of his parents uh the teacher keeps pressing bruce for an answer for the problem although it's very apparent that bruce has you know no interest uh in, in answering the problem uh, back to the back to the, to the regular action. Batman puts on a good show and kills the lions in the pit, and does manage to keep Nigma on the line long enough that they do complete the trace. Uh, with some help from Gordon, he does escape the uh, the death trap at the end, and they know where uh, the Riddler is located at now. Uh, back to the flashback again, we see that the uh, the teacher who was grilling Bruce earlier in the book. Uh, there's some police officers at his house, and there's a flaming zero uh, painted into his lawn, and that was the answer to the. Uh, the question that he asked Bruce earlier, uh, the answer to that was zero. Uh, next issue, the uh, the almost the, the second to last chapter of Zero Year. Um, my first question for everyone here is: We have this this flashback side story kind of interwoven here, and do you think that this this flashback side story adds to this issue, or would we have just been as well off without the flashback at all and just keeping the action kind of centered? Still, you want to go first on that? <laughs> Did I get you? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess there's like this huge intake of breath, so I was waiting for something epic to explode from his mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think it adds. Like, it was somewhat confusing. I mean, I always like seeing uh, back flashes or flashbacks, whatever you say, of Bruce. Back flashes. Never heard back that one. A back, back flash, flashes. you know? I love it. Um, but. I, I guess it's it's tangentially related. I mean, art-wise, you're able to see it because the professor or whomever it is is drawing a question mark on the board, which then relates to the question mark that Riddler's got over the city and then that eye that opens up and everything like that. But, you know, what what else like does it have to do besides this thought-provoking question that is um, – it's troublesome for everybody else in the class, but Bruce gets it. Is that like the way to connect it where everyone is having trouble with Riddler, but is Batman the one person that's going to be able to topple him? Is, is there a symbolism there? Um, but it, it is, I mean, that was a very kind of disturbing scene. Obviously you've dealt with a lot of stuff in the new 52, which is more macabre and, and dark things, but just to see all that transform and, and all of his classmates have bullet holes in their heads and things like that was, was pretty disturbing. I feel like we're going to see more of it because, you know, there was that vandalism of his own, uh, of his teacher's house. 
Um, well, it was just the yard, I suppose. But uh, I'm thinking maybe there's more of a connection. But for me, I think I think we could have done without it, and the story would have been perfectly fine because. I just, for the past 30 seconds, was trying to make a connection where maybe there's not one at all. So that was me forcing the issue. So I think it would have been fine without it. Uh, it is always great to see a young Bruce and see different sides of him that or different stories that we've never thought about or, or knew about. But this one doesn't have a, as big as an impact on me as others may. Here, Here's my thoughts on this, okay? I, I can see the connection that they were trying to make. They were trying to make the connection because... Nigma is sitting there pressing Bruce for the riddle. And at the same time, in the mirror flashback, you see the teacher pressing Bruce for the answer to the question. So it's kind of like a reverse mirror. But Bruce doesn't want to even think about coming up with the answer or give the answer, even if he is even if he does if he is smart enough to figure it out, unlike all of his other classmates, he doesn't want to deal with questions that relate to guns. They he doesn't want to deal with, you know, things like that because it just reminds him of the fact that his parents were killed. The fact that we see, you know, all of the, the all of the kids in his class also have, you know, gunshot wounds and things like that, it is very dark. And I think that's that's kind of what we're seeing at a young with a from a younger Bruce Wayne. We're seeing the fact that he is troubled in some ways when it comes to certain elements. He doesn't want to necessarily deal with things. Um, that obviously changes as time goes on as he, you know, leans more towards, you know, leaving Gotham and going on his training missions all over the world and things like that. He changes. He accepts what he has to do to prevent stuff like this from happening in the future. And in turn, we see the growth of the character. But with this, and the reason why I think the the vandalism happened was the, that Bruce is is being pressed for the answer. He doesn't want to give the answer because he doesn't want to have to deal with the idea of, you know, a bullet going through the air and what kind of resistance it has. He vandalizes it to prove that he does know the answer, but that he's not happy with the question. So I think it makes sense for it to happen. It works. Um, how it directly relates to the Riddler, it doesn't really relate other than the fact that the Riddler was pressing him to give him the riddle just like the teacher was. But the, the the two don't really go side by side. I don't know that it was necessary for this issue. It could have been necessary earlier in Zero Year when we were dealing with the more angry Bruce and how he thought, you know, Gordon was a horrible person and all this before we get to this point. It seems a little out of place for this specific time period. Yeah, um, I think I understand why they put it in here. And, and, and I don't think it's... I think it does slightly detract, especially now, because if, if, if it had been put in this, this story arc earlier where we were kind of – I mean, because this is a long arc. Let's be honest. I mean, I think it's, it's great and I've enjoyed it, but it's a long arc. So when we were kind of speeding up earlier on, I think something like this may have been better. But now that we're kind of coming downhill to the big you know, the big crescendo at the end, I think that this is a little out of place. Um, it's not horrible or anything. I just – it kind of pulled me out of the uh, – of the main story myself when I was reading it. Um, and then the other thing just I kind of wanted your opinion on is I guess the focal point of this book for me may, I think it may have was supposed to be the flashback, but for me it was kind of the confrontation between Riddler and Batman where they're, they're both trying to outsmart each other and we get Nigma, you know, giving his uh, ideas on, on where he thinks Batman came from. And I just wanted to, wanted your guys' opinion, you know, do these, does this sound like Batman and the Riddler for you? Cause this is the first, Real confrontation. I know mean, we've had him had some very small ones, but 
in the new 52, this is the first big Riddler Batman story. And, and does this does this feel like Riddler and Batman pre New 52 to you, or does this seem like a new incarnation? I think for the most part, I, I think that this is, I think it's supposed to be a new incarnation. I don't really see this as the Riddler. I mean, the Riddler here seems way, way more over the top than we've than he's ever been portrayed before. Now, that's not necessarily bad, but when you think about if this is the beginning of, you know, how the Riddler is, how does he go from something this extreme to, and, and I know this, you, you got to look at this from, you know, two different areas because this is the new 52 and and things, but if you looked at it from this is the you know a story to tell the origin of not only Batman but also Batman and, and Gordon's relationship and also the origin story of the Riddler. If you look at it like this, and then you compare this and say, oh, this is just an updated version of Batman's origin story, and this is supposed to be a little bit different, so it makes sense that you're going to tell it differently. But if you were to take this exact story and then put it in front of you know past Batman stories. With the Riddler, the Riddler was never this. I mean, like this is like straight terrorism. This is this is an extreme. Like he's straight killing people. He has basically he's not allowing anybody to leave the city. I mean, this is this is almost exactly like what Bane did in The Dark Knight Rises. Batman is, or you know, everybody's stuck in Gotham. Batman has to save Gotham from the inside. All of this stuff, they can't leave the city or horrible things will happen. It's like the exact same thing. And what was the the thing that they were trying to come to conclusion of doing when it was Bane and the Dark Knight Rises? It was, let's just bomb it and leave it alone. This In this situation, it's basically, we, we're not going to mess with it. We're just going to let the Riddler do whatever he wants. Nothing's happening. The only answer we've gotten from the outside world is we've gotten these five or you know the small team of you know, soldiers or whatever that appeared in the last issue to pop into the city and that's it. Wow. So they've left the city to fend for itself against the Riddler who, ha- you know, has these wild games about, you know, throwing people to jackals and lions and things like that. It seems a little, a little extreme for who the Riddler has always been. But I'm not necessarily saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's, it is very different. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like the Riddler to me. I mean, I guess you've got the heart, you've got the heart of it. Um, in the fact that, you know, he, he does have, he's looking for someone to stump him. Uh, but it's weird because he's, it's almost passive in that fact, besides him killing people. It's very passive because I feel like, um... The tried and true Riddler is the one that is active in trying to stump other people. And he's very much like the Sphinx in there. If I am to, Dustin thinks that I turn people off from the podcast when I go off on a little nerdism. But I'm going to do it. I don't care if you press stop or not. Um, (laughs) So the Sphinx was, obviously you know what the Sphinx looks like, even though it's you know, it doesn't have human characteristics, but it would just plop down in front of, you know, any sort of random wayfarer, you know, someone that is wandering around. And then it would ask them a very particular riddle. And if you got the riddle correct, then happy day for you. If not, goodbye. I mean, it was just very, you know, happenstance. And in that sense, it's, it's very similar to this because um, 
you know, he, I, well, it's not, it's not at all. Like, that's how I would, would expect the Riddler to be where he's asking people to like step up and then they get the question right. They can live. If not, they die, but it's total role reversal because he's asking people to step up. So they have to be an active participant and then they have to be the one to question him. So it just seems like very opposite in my mind of what Riddler was. Maybe you guys never even thought about Riddler that much and your minds are just exploding all over the place. But, uh, for me, this is, it's just super duper new 52. Um, and I guess just the, the one thing that you can hold on to is just the fact that he's an intellectual guy. But I just feel like, I don't know, he's um, a little more hands-on in the fact that he's killing people and a little hands-off in the fact that he's he's not as active in, in his riddling. Um, so I don't know. Is there going to be like a beat-down drag-out between Batman and Riddler, which would be really weird to see them f- actually fighting? But, yeah, it, it's just a different Riddler for sure. I think that Stella's point about him, the path him being passive is really good um, because he is, he's, he's not bringing the riddle to them for mm-hmm. lack of a, of a better way to put it. And, and that, and I think that goes to, I think this is a very different version of the character. Um, now we could, a whole other argument would be, do we like this version better? Um, but I don't think, I, I think this is definitely a, a big change for the character. Um, I mean, there, there was points in, in pre new 52 continuity where, Riddler ran a detective agency and was, I mean, he was always kind of a little up to no good, you know, uh, but he definitely wasn't straight terrorists feeding people to lions, uh, you know, side of the side of the coin. Um, so I do think that this is a, a reinvention of the character. Um, I, I like it so far. I, I do think that it would have been nice to have kept one of Batman's villains not so dark um, I know that's not very in vogue now, but uh, I think if we kept one of the big villains slightly less dark, that may have been may have been interesting. But that that being s- set aside for a minute, I do think this is very good. But um, I do think there's no doubt that this is a completely different version of the character, um, and one that I'll be very interested to see where it goes in the next couple of months. All right, so Batman number thirty-one. I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. Batman number 31, I'm going to give a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. I'll give it a 3.5 out of 5 batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batman number 31 a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal number 7. Batman Eternal number 7, written by Tim Seeley. Well, script by Tim Seeley, art by Emmanuel Simone. Uh, the issue starts off right where the last issue took place, which is kind of an odd occurrence since we haven't seen that very often, where Batman is dealing with the explosion that happened in issue number six. Um, he kind of takes the guy who set the explosion off only to find out that he was a paid person. Um, and what ends up happening is that Batman is actually the explosion that has occurred in front of Professor, one of Professor Pig's places where he's making a ton of Dollatrons. Uh, the Dollar are sent to go attack Batman and uh, we find out that uh, at the Iceberg Casino somebody has let uh, well not somebody but uh, Fishnet uh, one of Penguin's henchmen has let a female into the Iceberg Lounge Um, it turns out that this female is in fact Catwoman Catwoman's trying to figure out exactly why Penguin has been dealing with the people from the underground or you know underneath the city that I guess presumably 
is tying into what has what has previously happened in the Catwoman series. Uh, meanwhile, Batman is dealing with the Dalatrons. Uh, we see in Gotham's north side, Roadrunner, uh, previously from Scott Snyder's run of Detective Comics, is uh, working for Falcone now. Um, he's saying that his friend Tiger Shark, or his his uh, business associate uh, Tiger Shark, is is about to set the attack on the Iceberg Lounge. Uh, we find out that the Iceberg Lounge is in fact um, under attack from Tiger Shark. Uh, meanwhile, the whole time Batman's being distracted by the Dalatrons, we find out that the whole reason for that is so that Batman can't stop the attack. Uh, this wall was a plan from Falcone to have Batman distracted so that uh, so that uh, Penguin's casino would be destroyed. Catwoman is there, and she's basically comes to the conclusion. Or well, Penguin explains that the reason why he's been dealing with the underground people is that he came up with the he came up with a compromise with Doctor Phosphorus so that he could provide protection for the underground people if Doctor Phosphorus in turn helped him with uh, the, his, his his situation with Falcone. The casino blows up. Uh, Roadrunner and Falcone look on in in happiness. Uh, Batman is is still is still taken is, is still being controlled basically by the Dalatrons. And has can't do anything. Catwoman saves a couple people. Um, uh, Penguin narrowly escapes the explosion and getting eaten by Tiger Shark's killer whale. But Catwoman saves him. Uh, uh, meanwhile, across town, the fire at uh, Professor Pig's warehouse is being put out. Forbes says, uh, "Well, it's nice that uh, Batman left us these people, but uh, we're not we're not going to take them in because we're not dealing with Batman anymore. So we're going to cut these people loose." So he lets Professor Pig, I guess, go loose. Next, we see hours later in the morning, Batman talking to Catwoman, saying, thanks for helping out. Uh, this could have been a lot worse if you weren't here. Um, and she says, I've always got time for you, Batman. Um, we see Penguin you know, contemplating the fact that his money, his legacy, and his entire casino is now sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, we see uh, Roadrunner at his dealership selling some cars. He makes a comment about the fact that um, there's nowhere to spend your good money anymore, so why not buy a fancy car? As he pops the trunk on the car, he pops, you know, I guess, the trunk to show the engine off. There's a pig with a grenade in it, and the explosion goes off. Because Professor Pig had, was told by Batman that uh, Roadrunner screwed him over, and now Professor Pig says that he is going to turn Gotham into his lab and turn it into his art piece. Next, the cold case heats up. All right, so just a couple of things that I wanted to discuss in this issue. The first thing is uh, we get the introduction of Tiger Shark and Roadrunner, which we knew these characters were coming based off the promo image that was released last November. Uh, I wanted to know what you guys thought of their introductions since we really haven't seen them since Scott Snyder's detective run. Um, do you think that uh, Roadrunner died or do you think – well, my immediate thought when I saw that the explosion was, well, Roadrunner probably used his – his legs to get him out of there before the grenade went off and he's probably not dead because I doubt they would kill the character just like that so soon in the run, especially since he doesn't have that many appearances. But then again, he could just be a character that was meant to be killed off right away. Um, so thoughts on Tiger Shark and Roadrunner being included into the mix now? You know, it's, it's funny because those characters are, are – they're not – you know, A list or B list or C. I mean, they're 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 somewhere out there, but they're definitely not top top of the order type guys. Um, 
I, I, they, I think they may have killed Roadrunner, Roadrunner here. I mean, again, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to introduce a character and kill him so quickly, but we've seen it happen before. Um, I think the introduction is handled fine here. I think that the problem is with a book like Eternal where the cast has so many big pieces in it, I mean, Catwoman, Batman, Penguin, Professor Pig, Bob, Bob, Bob. I think that they just kind of get lost in, in the background, to be honest with you. Um, I think I'd rather seen them brought back in like a three-issue something where we could deal with them more specifically. Uh, again, they're not bad here, but they just kind of fade into the background a little bit. My, I kind of have a question of where is Dr. Phosphorus? Because isn't it coming off of like the end of that issue? Where, like, isn't that the same, I don't know, where we were meant to believe that he was but in Dr. that Dr. Phosphorus was in the truck, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, I think what I did was I went back and looked at issue six, and the way the panels are cut, it doesn't necessarily, it's not for sure that Dr. Phosphorus was in the truck that Batman right. was chasing that did explode. Okay. Um, the fact that Penguin says in this issue, well, Dr. Phosphorus is doing something for me, um makes me believe that there's no way he was in that truck then because mm. this has nothing to do with uh, Penguin. This was uh, this was a Falcone thing, so Phosphorus wouldn't be working with him. Um, my, I guess my, my understanding of it is that I guess that's just another one of those things that we're going to wait a couple issues to find out what actually was supposed to happen with him. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure hopefully you – I don't know. My problem with – and it's going to continue with the next one is just like I feel like each issue is a different story. But I guess I'll hold off on that uh, for final or whatever. I like the inclusion of Tiger Shark. Uh, Roadrunner, I actually like – that's my first appearance, um, my first introduction to him at all. So that was pretty interesting. But Tiger Shark um, – I liked him when he was the villain against uh, Dick Grayson as Batman during um, Black Mirror. I guess it's technically not that, but it's in you know that collected form. So uh, I, you know, I think he's pretty cool. So so that was good. But you know, just like Ed is saying, like we're just heaping this on. I mean, this is almost like crisis. We're I feel like by the end of these fifty-two issues, we're gonna get to crisis proportions uh with the rogues that are just batman related and it's just going to be insane just they're probably going to try to start bringing in as many batman rogues as possible uh and i think that that's awesome uh but there's also a danger to it uh just like in hush like it was great to see all those villains but there's a danger to having so many people doing different things and and of course for new readers i mean how are they reacting to that i mean you could consider me a new reader with never having known anything about roadrunner so i don't know i think you know less is more certainly and and just like ed said i think focus on a couple of them and and get to know them and, and what their part is in this master plan before adding more and then having an even more convoluted storyline and, and just it's getting it's getting big. You're gonna have to make a conspiracy board in your basement, Dustin. Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean here here's my thing. You know, I'm I'm fine with I thought the Roadrunner was was a good interesting lead in the fact that he's working for Falcone. Um Tiger Shark uh Tiger Shark, you know, it's one of those characters where, he, you know, he was in a previous story, the Black Mirror, you know, time frame when Scott Snyder was writing Detective Comics before the New 52. 
So it's not as if this is a brand new character. I'm liking the fact that they aren't introducing just brand new characters. They are just using, reusing or using characters that already exist. I like that aspect a lot more because so many times, and I've complained about this so many times since the beginning of the New 52, that a lot of the titles, they choose to create their own new characters. They don't focus on the characters that already exist. And this one, it's not like that. So I give them props for that. Um, now, the other thing I want to talk about is... It kind of has to do with the the fact that Falcone has aligned himself with certain characters, but then there's other characters that he that you know he considers the freaks of Gotham. Now Penguin doesn't actually have any powers. He's just he looks ugly. He looks you know he's he's a little he's he's fat. He's chubby. He's a little <laughs> small guy. He's got a you know a weird looking nose. You know he's just he's just he's not a he's not a pretty looking guy. Okay, he doesn't actually have any powers. But for some reason, he's considered a freak to Falcone. But at the same time, we have characters like Roadrunner, who has, uh, you know, these these high tech legs that allow him to run super fast. And Falcone's okay with working with that kind of person. He's also okay working with a person like Tiger Shark, who uses killer whales to kill people. I don't understand the. Uh, and then at the same time, I mean, we don't know for this for sure, but we look at characters like. Um, uh, you know, we don't know for a fact that the Clue Master and the the characters that he's working with are working with uh, – that are actually working with Falcone either. But in some ways, are they also considered freaks or are they actually working for this third party that has yet to be seen? Because it just seems odd that, you know, Falcone wants to knock out the freaks. I assume he's referring to like people like – Two-Face, Joker, Riddler, which Riddler, again, he's just, okay, I guess costume people, but Tiger Shark is one of these people who's wearing a costume. I mean, he wears a red, basically a red bandana over his face. So I I, I don't understand where the line gets drawn. I understand that, uh, you know, for the most part, Roadrunner, he's not wearing any kind of, uh, you know, costume. And I guess because he's an associate of Roadrunner, I don't know how it works. But thoughts on just... Is, do you guys have any thoughts on the fact that, you know, it seems a little peculiar that Falcone has, is, is linking himself up with certain characters, but then he's not working with other characters, especially since this Professor Pig thing, even if it's not directly related, it all spinned from this Professor Pig thing that led to Falcone coming back. And Professor Pig is, I would consider, one of the freak type villains. Well, Pig's definitely one of the freak type villains. Um, listen, here's how I've kind of looked at it. Um, I think this is actually, and you're going to laugh, but I think this is actually a great characterization of someone like Falcone. Because the reality is they may say all kinds of crap about how they don't want to work with this type of person. and They're really trying to do the right thing. But the reality is they'll work with anybody who's going to help them. Um, so I actually like this characterization because very, very rarely is gangsters in real life like that we see in The Godfather. You know what I'm saying? They're not all about honor. They're all about what they can do to win. Um, so although I, I understand I, – I, I like your point that his logic doesn't make any sense. I think that's true. Um, I think this type of character really at, really at the end of the day, he doesn't care as long as they're going to help him. Yeah, and I think you know I think we've seen this in the past. I was racking my uh, brain to figure out because there's like an example I know. But just someone who has a hardcore like desire to get rid of the freaks um, – I think he'll always resort to using them as well. Um, whatever is going to fit his end game, 
he's going to use that. So just, you know, just like Ed is saying, I think that in the end, once everything is done and finished, if he were to actually rid the world and, and do what he, he wants to with those freaks, then the ones that he's working with, I think would be probably nixed as well. But however he, whatever he needs to attain his goal, he's going to use that. Um, and, and I think that just shows uh, the type of villain that he is. All right. There's another topic that I want to talk about. It deals with Forbes cutting loose Professor Pig, but I'll save that actually until the next issue because there's a little bit more that deals with Forbes and his his idea of Batman that deals with the next issue. So Batman Eternal number seven, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five better things. Uh, I'm going to go a tad bit below you, three out of five. Uh, and I'm going to go below that and oh. say, yeah, I know, 2.5 out of 5. I'm just having so much uh, – I am I just have a problem with each of these issues not really connecting to the other and just being a completely different story. And I just want like a fluid story. I, I, the exciting thing about a weekly series I thought is that you can you can tell this grand story but that hopefully they would connect from week to week. But I feel like maybe they're telling this grand story, but we're getting random pieces of the puzzle and they're not really connecting. And for me, it's just frustrating because I, I think there's something awesome that they could tell, but it's just like, what is going on? So 2.5 out of 5 for me. Yeah, I went back and read 6 right after I read 7, Stella, because I thought I'd miss something. I really did. Yeah. Did I, did, I, did I skip an issue here? Because, yeah, it's it's got... It started off pretty pretty tight, the first three or four Agreed. issues, but it's not yeah. really bad, the past three issues. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, what happened to um, Batwing and, and all that stuff? Like, we haven't seen that for a couple issues, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm totally on board with that. All right, so over on the website, Jonathan Klosner gave the issue three out of five betterings. That's going to give Batman Eternal number seven a total of three out of five betterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Eternal number eight. Batman Eternal number eight, written by John Lehman or scripted by John Lehman, art by Gilliam March. The issue starts off with a number of divers going down to the wreckage at the bottom of the the bay, Gotham Bay, where or Gotham Harbor, where the Iceberg Casino is, and uh, they're there to basically clean out the the uh, stash that Penguin had stashed away, all the gold bricks and the cash and things like that. When Batman approaches. And uh, the divers are unable to take the money, presumably, because the scene then cuts to Batman taking out uh, people all over Gotham, left, right and center, all over the place throughout the entire night. And then he delivers. He, t- he beats up one guy and says, I've got a message for your boss. Um, he told me it's just the beginning. Gotham is under my protection and Falcone's going to pay what he's done to my city. Um then uh, we see the that that specific person go and tell Falcone um, the next day. We then see Jason Bard and Harvey Bullock, who's I won't talk about the art, but that Harvey Bullock is a little odd compared to some of the other Harvey Bullocks we've seen recently. Um, Harvey Bullock talking to Jason Bard about how uh, Commissioner Forbes' is directive is that they cannot arrest anybody that uh, Batman has apprehended because they don't want to deal with it. Bullock thinks it's complete BS. Bard says it's just what we have to do. We have to let them go. Um, you know, we don't necessarily have to untie them. We can let them figure out how to untie themselves. But uh, you know, I don't agree with it. You don't agree with it. But Forbes is not going to you know 
have them be prosecuted because that's not what he wants. He doesn't want anybody. He doesn't want anybody taken in who has been apprehended by Batman. So uh, then we see Falcone call Tiger Shark from nowhere and tell him to tell this guy who just delivered the message to him that uh, you know to let him to let him loose. Um, and then we see uh, Falcone say, yeah, "I would need to call Jack Forbes." Uh, you know, the commissioner, and he, he says, tonight we need to meet. Meanwhile, at the Batcave, Alfred comes down to see Bruce in a uh, in a afternoon training session when uh, Bruce says he wants to know exactly what Falcone's up to by finding out where he was. He was in Hong Kong prior to coming back to Gotham, and he set up a pretty decent, uh, you know, system in, in Hong Kong. So the question is, why did he come back? So Bruce tells him to cross-reference all the people that um, he apprehended over the night that would have been booked by the GCPD to see if there are any overlaps between his old crew and his current crew. Um, Alfred then explains, well, unfortunately, there's nobody who was booked overnight from what you did. Um, and they and Bruce says, no, that's impossible. The only reason that, you know, is as great as... Uh, Gotham's justice system is there's no way these people could have been in and out that quickly. Um, it clearly has to do with commissioner, the new commissioner. Uh, we then see Jason Bard, who's checking out a murder at a phone booth that occurred, I guess, a couple issues ago. Um, it doesn't reference it, but uh, as you proceed, Vicki Vale approaches Jason Bard to say, you know, what exactly uh, can you tell me exactly what's going on? Um, we then see that this is actually two days earlier. This was the booth that Stephanie Brown was calling her mother. Her mother explains to the clue master that, you know, she might know too much. And uh, Stephanie Brown uh, is is told by some random guy, get out of the phone booth. You've been using the phone booth too long. She gets thrown out. As she gets thrown out, the people who are sent to take care of her, um, which by the looks of it, I, I can't tell for sure, but because – where either they're they're meant to not have faces or something, but they look like they're either wearing masks and wearing police uniforms, or I, I don't know. But I'm probably thinking a little bit too much into that, especially since this is Gilliam March art. Um, but uh, Stephanie Brown didn't get shot, and Turner was the guy who threw her out of the phone booth. Jason Bard's trying to figure out what happened. Vicky Vale says, "You know, uh, you know, you don't have to tell me stuff that's on the record. You want to tell me stuff that's off the record." He's like, "Listen, I don't have any kind of uh, rapport or relationship with you." Vicky Vale seems to kind of throw herself in and says, well, uh, is that saying that we should get to know each other a little bit better? Um, Then he gets a phone call from Commissioner Forbes, comes back to the police headquarters. They basically have set a trap now for for Batman. They turn on the bat signal. They wait for Batman to show up. The entire GCPD SWAT team appears to be on the roof um, waiting for Batman to appear. Uh, Batman approaches... And he jumps out and says, all right, Forbes, you called. I came. Uh, we should talk. Forbes says, listen, I don't want to talk. I have no desire to have any kind of relationship with you. Um, I'm not Gordon. Gordon was a rotten cop. He didn't respect for the law. He didn't respect the law. Um, that's that. Uh, and then randomly, um, just as he's uh, about to say, Batman, you're going to surrender or you're going to get taken out. Jason Bard uh, shouts D-unit fire, and we see a bunch of smoke grenades come out, shot all over the place. Batman is, is basically takes a couple guys out so that he can escape. Bard pulls his gun on Batman. Batman gives him some extremely strange glare. Bard pulls his gun back. Batman escapes. 
then Forbes proceeds to smash the uh, bat signal very, very esque of the Dark Knight uh, trilogy. Then we see Forbes telling Bard, you know, what was that? I can't tell if you're just useless, incompetent, or you're as dumb as a box of rocks. Um, then we see Batman saying, okay, Jason Bard um, was handpicked by Gordon for a reason. I do have some allies still in GCPD, but not very many and definitely not enough to counteract what's currently going on. He then says that he is got to head out for a while uh, out of town. We see that he is heading towards Hong Kong where a mysterious female with uh, night vision goggles who is scaling the side of a building uh, puts up her goggles and says, "What the bl- Batman, what the bloody hell is he doing here? This is going to complicate things. Next, sins of the past. Okay. So the, the first thing I want to talk about is kind of dealing with not just this issue, but also the last issue, Forbes and his weird vendetta against Batman. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen the GCPD uh, have problems with Batman, even before, uh, you know, not, not obviously with with Gordon but with, this isn't the first time we've seen somebody else in power of GCPD and have a problem with Batman. Um and I'm sure this won't be the last time either. But to go to the extreme of untying criminals and saying, "Okay, go free. Go do whatever you were going to do. We know you were doing something wrong, but just go free." It seems a little extreme. Um specifically going back to the last issue where Forbes himself cuts the the strings restraining Professor Pig. Uh, Professor Pig is a is is a straight lunatic. It's not some random thug who's who's you know stealing stuff or you know beating some people up. It's nothing like that. He's a straight lunatic. Um, to to cut somebody like that loose, that shows something that I'm not sure that I don't know who would have any kind of faith in somebody like that. I don't know why, if you were a GCPD officer, you would sit there and say, yes, I want to get behind this guy because he's cutting loose lunatics, who in turn could potentially kill my family down the line. So thoughts on the extremeness of Forbes' vendetta against Batman? Uh, When I read both the issue preceding this and this issue, the only word that really came to mind for me when it came to Forbes was asinine. (laughs) I mean... This, this guy's acting like an idiot. Like, like you said, like, the, we, if, if it's a mugger tied to a lamppost, you know, some basically nonviolent stealing bread from Seven Eleven or whatever, I could see him cut him. But like I said, Pig is it would be by almost anyone's definition of mass murder, right? Um, I don't know how many people his actions have led to the death to, but I'm sure if we just added up in Batman Eternal, we could come up to five or six. Uh, Matt's taking the larger scope out of it, so you know he, he's letting mass murderers free. And, and the thing I don't – I don't understand if he's working with Falcone, which which we know he is, um, I, I think this would be over the line. I think this is, is going to be a definition. I think this, this might be a part of the plot down the, the way is that Forb goes too far. Um, but yeah, I mean this, this, is, this is obviously so much farther past the idea of we don't like working with the quote-unquote vigilante storyline, which is you know kind of typical. We've seen that in New 52 and Pre-52 and – a lot of different reiterations of you know the cops don't like Batman uh, type deal or or the larger DC universe in general they don't like heroes, um, but I think this guy's taking it too far. Yet we know he's on the take from Falcone, so obviously that isn't you know influencing his, his uh, actions somewhat. But this is this is a step too far. Yeah, obviously. 
Yeah, he's just trying to make a point, and uh, however he needs to make that point, he's going to do it. And I think um, it's also crucial to show this scene just to show how completely different he is from uh, Jim Gordon. Um, because obviously, you know, he's taking his position. And, you know, Jim, in the beginning, obviously, he, he had a mistrust of Batman and everything, but I don't think he would ever turn away a gift wrap a criminal like this, but he would begrudgingly do it. Um, so I, I, I think that this is a key scene just to show that we're we're in a heap of trouble, people, because this is not Jim Gordon, and like his his morals and ethics are are completely like a different scale. Um, so so things could go to a ha- in a handbasket very quickly. We'll all sit there and we'll say, "Where are we going? And why are we in this handbasket?" Um. <laughs> Yeah, so extreme and to show the dichotomy between the two characters. And yeah, I think we can never really lose sight of the fact that he is in Falcone's pocket, so to speak. Um, so he's he's going to thwart um, the cause little by little. But um, I will be super excited when this guy dies. But I guess he's going to be one of those villains like Joffrey Lannister. Um, or sorry, Joffrey Baratheon. Uh, that, yeah, sorry about that. Kind of technically, Lannister, right? Um, that he's going to last a long time and you're going to hate him for a while. And maybe he'll get his just desserts at the very end, like issue 52, when Jim Gordon makes his like victory and come back. But I think we're going to have to deal with him. And, and maybe it'd be awesome to see if we get like a week of underground cops that – um, decide like we're not going to follow this guy and we need to figure out a way to kind of get rid of him. That'd be an interesting storyline. But yep, uh, yeah. Crazy guy. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing with him is that it is an extreme. I mean, the mass killer, the, ma- the mass murder thing, it's, 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 it's insane. It's one thing not to, you know, to make sure that Falcone's men are let go and that they can, you know, w- roam the streets and continue to do what they're doing. But there's no way that y- you would cut loose guys who are supposed to be locked up in Arkham Asylum. The random gangsters who are Falcone's guys, okay, fine. I can understand that. They're just, they're not even like the main players. They're just nobodies. But at the same time, to have the, the, the mass people, no, there's, it's just, it's, it's a little overboard. Um, the other part of this that we see is that, uh, we, we see that, um, or in this issue, we see Jason Bard, and this is kind of just a, like a mention and a brief thought from you guys, Jason Bard, you know, appears to be on the side of Forbes for the most part, but then it's revealed that, you know, he, he pulled a fast one and basically gave Batman the, the, uh, an opportunity to, to get away. Batman realizes that you know Bard is a ally, even if everyone else believes that he's not. Uh, specifically, Bullock in the beginning of the issue saying, "You know, what are you going to do? You can't go against what he's saying." So, did you guys think that the way Bard's being portrayed at first, when I first read, it, I kept thinking to myself, "Wow, this guy's really a suck up. How is he really supposed to be working? You know, uh, is he really Gordon's handpick?" You know, person, if uh, he's doing exactly what Forbes wants, but then at the end when he basically creates the way for Batman to escape, I thought that was pretty cool. So, just thoughts on on the situation in general, the characterization of Bard and how he's being grown as a character. Uh I think he's he's interesting in this book. Um, 
I mean, when he's investigating, you know, the, the shootout scene there with, and then with Vicky, um, I, I think he's a good guy. And I think you're, you're seeing that he's, he has a really, really issue that, I mean, what's going on with the commissioner is, I mean, can you imagine your, like your first week in town, this is what goes on your first week on the job. <laughs> you're the guy who hires you goes to jail and the guy takes his place, hates the, I mean, it's, I think he's in a really bad position. I think he's going to be a good, a, a quote unquote good guy at the end. I think maybe he'll become kind of like the plant for Batman or him and Bullock will end up working together. Um, but I think, I think the kind of indecisiveness we saw uh, a little earlier, um, I think that was just, he was in a really bad position, but I think at his heart, he's a good guy, which is good because with the Jason Bard character pre new 52, you don't want Bard to be a bad guy. So I hope he stays kind of on the side of the angels. here. Yeah. Part of me would, uh, like there to be like a slower transition for him to like figure out um how he's going to play this because this was super quick that um you know he's following orders but wait a minute there's there's something else going on and it seems like such a shift from this green kid and i mean he's been working in law enforcement before but gotham is a completely different ballpark and you know just this this green kid coming off the train and and working it just seems such a a quick quick change and so part of me wishes that there would have been a transition but you know part of me also understands that everything has like fallen to crap (laughs) Uh, very quickly after he just like Ed was saying after he arrived after he stepped off the train so I mean very much you know he's got a change to survive and so I think he he is this like awesome upstart and and just intelligent guy and he figures that he's got to play the game that way Um, I love the fact that while there may have been some doubt in the beginning, I don't know if I ever doubted like his true. Um, I would have been actually very upset had it like he just been like, "I'm gonna follow you, Forbes, whatever you do," and there was no trick, uh, because that is just not Jason Bard. I, I think that there are certain characters that, um, even though we've got New Fifty Two and you you have license, of course, to change things up, uh, there are a few characters that I think should not be touched. And Jason Bard just is one of those characters for me that has a, a great amount of integrity. And and I'm glad to see that he's keeping with that. Not really liking the potential shipping between him and Vecchi Vale. Um, and it's not because I'm holding out hope for Barbara Gordon because I don't think Barbara Gordon at this stage of her uh, written career deserves someone as good as Jason Bard. Um, but I, I think it's I think we should just keep those two characters separate right now and um, you know, if this is, if Batman Eternal is, you know, the journey of Falcone and I guess Batman, I, I think it's also awesome if we can see the rise of Jason Barden and see him come into fruition and, and see what type of, of character he is. So I, I think it's great. I, I love the scenes with him and his hairstyles seem to change depending on the artist, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, just, just more Jason Barden. And and like I said, you know, if there was a storyline where people have had enough, a certain sect of cops have had enough of Forbes and, you know, especially Maggie, I mean, Maggie doesn't want to go around with this along with what's going on Bullock. Um, and I think, uh, Jason would also be in that, so it'd be cool if there's some something that goes on. The, although I do have to say, you know, you said the thing about the shipping between Vicky and mm-hmm. Jason. Don't don't you think though that it's entirely possible that down the line, not any time in the pages of Eternal, but down the line, at least the way they're setting Jason Bard up as the hand-picked 
person to come to Gotham from, you know, handpicked by James mm-hmm. Gordon. Yeah. The fact that, you know, we know previous, you know, pre-New 52, they had a history. Right. It Doesn't it seem like they are making it as it could happen, even though it's, you know, they, the two haven't even met each other? Yeah. This is certainly like zero year almost for, for um, Jason Bard. Um, and especially, yeah, because I think once all of this is over, if nothing bad happens to Jason, if my heart isn't broken and he like suddenly turns into the villain of the story, um, then I think, yeah, obviously Commissioner Gordon is definitely going to come back. <laughs> At least I hope so. And I think he would definitely, you know, introduce him uh, to Babs. But uh, you also have to keep in mind that Babs and Jim's relationship is somewhat tattered as well. And there's like this unspoken thing between them. So I think well, that just depends on what you read. If yeah. You that's just true. Read in true. eternal. Yeah. You know, she we went, think she, she got hell bent on the fact that, Oh, my dad's locked up. I'm going to go beat some rear ends. Yeah. No, I think it'd be great to have like a little tease at the end of eternal where like they meet and there is that future for, for something more. Cause I think this is like a, it's a power couple and it's a couple that, um, I think is great. They may not like in my mind be like my one true pairing, my OTP for shippers. Uh, but but I think it's always I think you always should have a Jason Bard with a Barbara Gordon at some point in the career. So that'd be good. I just don't think if he were to pop up in Batgirl, I would be like so stressed out because it just <laughs> would not be a good idea. Yeah. All right. So the the, the only last thing I want to know is. Uh, your final thoughts on who the person hinted at the last on the last page was the fact that it says it's going she, that that Batman's going to Hong Kong. I mean, this clearly appears to be a female. Um, who do you think this could be? It's Cass Kane, right? She's in Hong Kong, Black Bat. Don't get Donovan so up. <laughs> <laughs> He's like he just collapsed in the floor right now. Did you hear that thump? <laughs> Uh, that, I mean, that's who I thought it was. She, you know, last known whereabouts when she was operating as Black Bat was Hong Kong, right? Yep. So I, I think it's Cassandra Kane. And and any diff, any, any discrepancies? This is my word on it for right now. I might change my mind next time we get together. But any discrepancies right now, and the fact that she says bloody hell, and it seems to be she's talking with with an assumed English accent, um, would be that this is the new Fifty Two. Anything's possible. Um, but I think it's Cassie. Um. I just read it, but I'm blanking on her name. In Batman and Son, what is that? The the love interest that Batman meets. Mm. Her father is like a she's a philanthropist. She finds oh. out about Batman. What's his, what is her name? Something. Oh my gosh, it was almost there. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, right, Dustin? I'm tr- I know who you're talking about. I'm trying to think of who it is, though. I'm going to look it up real quick because now it's going to be annoying. No, I, I see her right now. I, I, I'm right in my home office. I just grabbed my trade of Batman and Sundown. I see a page with her on it, but I don't know if I... Je- Jezebel Jet? Jezebel Jet, yeah. Oh, God. No, no. What it's definitely that? not her. Well, so we... It would be awesome if it were. Uh, my first instinct was, is that Catwoman? Did she suddenly, like, speed over there to Hong Kong? Because, you know, in that black suit... If we look at the image, do you think that, like, does she have Asian features? I mean, for me, like, she doesn't She doesn't look as Cass Kane as she could. Um, it looks too old for me to be Cass Kane, um, and she looks darker. Uh, it'd be interesting if it were just about Jet, just because Dustin, uh, <laughs> he doesn't Lost want that at all. About it, yeah. um, oh, I mean, okay, okay. If it was, but here's the thing. Jezebel Jet is, it, 
it'd have to be a completely different incarnation of Jezebel Jet because the story of Jezebel Jet was she is no longer in the picture. I mean, like she it wasn't like um she was dealing with the man bats and things like that. And if I remember correctly, she was like carried away by the 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 League of Assassins man bats. If I remember correctly, I, mean, I might be mistaken, but I remember like she knew who Batman was. Batman revealed himself to her. Then she turned out to be uh, this chick who was bad. And then somehow the League of Assassins ended up taking her away or something like that, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's been a while since I read those issues, but I don't think it's just about Jet. Um, Cassandra Kane would be the obvious choice because it is Hong Kong, but I also don't think it's her because, okay, so this is the thing. It's entirely possible that it could be her. Mm-hmm. Um, by all means, it's like I said, it, it, it's it's possible because it is Hong Kong and it would be a really cool, interesting thing for, you know, them to throw in there and say, hey, we're going to introduce her, but it's not going to be as, you know, it's not going to be as prominent as us revealing that Stephanie Brown is going to be in the series, you know, way in advance like they did when they first announced the series. But I think that if they, it is Cascade, obviously she knows who Batman is. Um, it's probably going to be, if it is Cass Kane, it's not going to be a Cass Kane who's probably worked with Batman before, or it, if it is, it's going to be, you know, someone who Batman's aware of, but has not been back in the past because we're reverting back to some of these, you know, pre things where obviously Barbara Gordon has never been, has never been anybody but Batgirl. Stephanie Brown was never Batgirl. So Cass Kane was probably never Batgirl either. So it's entirely possible for them to do this. However, it's one thing to note is in the uh, on Twitter, I remember Scott Snyder and Tinian both saying on Twitter that Layman was introducing a, a character in this issue and over the next two more issues, so issues nine and ten as well, who was going to be a very prominent character going forward within the pages of Eternal. I'm assuming it's this character because – I mean, I read those tweets before I read the issue, and I was thinking to myself, who oh, I wonder what it is. And then I read the issue, and I was thinking to myself, well, if it's not this girl, I don't know who it is because there, who else is really introduced in these issues? Nobody. Mm-hmm. So it has to be this person. So I'm expecting something to be revealed right away in issue nine when, when it happens. Um, I read the preview for issue nine. It doesn't reveal it right away, so I'm hoping it does pick up at some point within the issue and not – you know, the first five pages that they have already revealed through the preview. But I I also have a problem because looking at that original Batman Eternal Thanksgiving promo image that they released, there's no character that looks exactly like that character. So the the, the two females that were in the in the picture, the image, that we didn't know who they were and we still don't know who they are according to uh, Tinian and Snyder saying that nobody has figured out who they are because they're new characters. Um, Tinian did say that one of the two characters is a very is a very important character to the story of Batman Eternal, but we don't know who they are. Um, neither one of these characters looks like them. One ha- one is very pale and has red hair, and the other one is black and has black hair. So those two characters do not match up with this character. So I don't know if you know this is yet another character or who knows, but. I don't have any official guess. I, the first thing I thought was, hey, this would be awesome if it was Cass Kane. So that's what I'll stick with. I guess, uh, I mean, it would be awesome, but I mean, doesn't it go against everything DC has said? It was like, 
we're waiting for the time, but it's really like it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Or do you think now that they have brought, they've ushered, they brought poor Steph, who apparently her only like characterization right now is her in a, in a phone booth. Um, it's like that movie with Chris Evans, phone booth. Uh, or was that Colin? Farrell? Yeah, it's Colin. Farrell. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, do you think that now, like, they feel free to like bring her in? I mean, what has changed? Why? Why has it suddenly changed from? We're waiting, we're waiting to finally let's do it. I think that we're at the point, and I don't mean this in a bad way, because I actually kind of like this in a way. Uh, I think we're at the point now that if Scott Snyder wants to do something in the Batman universe, they're going to let him. Yep. And if he said he wanted to put Cass Can in it, they would just go, okay. I mean, don't you think that that's the, where he's at right now on a swag list? Really? Yeah, I, honestly, I think that nothing's held off bounds if he wants it to be used. If he feels like it needs to be used, then I think they're going to let him do it. I don't think there's any question about that. Plus the the fact that she may not look like Cass Kane as we know her. We just had a Helena Bertinelli we talked about this episode that doesn't look like any yep. version we've ever seen before. Yep. And the Riddler's, feeding pe- the Riddler's now feeding people to lions. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, so it's different. entirely possible. All right, so Batman Eternal number eight. I'm going to give this one a four out of five batterings. I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five batteries. I want to get all three with Ed and give it a three. All right. And over on the website, Jonathan Klosner gave the issue four out of five batterings. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number eight a total of three and a half out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Let's uh, cover some of the other bat books that have been reviewed over on the website. Uh, our latest retro review focus has been on the Gentleman Ghost. It is a review of Batman number 310 and Batman number 319, pre-New 52, obviously. Both of these issues released in 1979 and 1980. Uh, They deal with Gentleman Ghost, which we recently saw in the pages of Batman Eternal. Uh, That was Batman Eternal number 5, I believe, where Gentleman Ghost made an appearance with Batwing and Spectre. Um, So if you want to know more about Gentleman Ghost, check out the Retro Review Focus. Other than that, as I already mentioned earlier, we have a review by Donovan for Nightwing number 30. Uh, where he gave it one out of five batterings. And uh, as far as DCU Spotlight, uh, Corbin Poole has been reviewing New 52 Future's End since the beginning. I failed to mention on the last episode. Um, But uh, he has reviewed issue number three and gave it two and a half. And issue four, he gave three and a half. So be sure to check out that. That is the other weekly that's currently happening in the DC Universe. Um, and Terry McGinnis, Batman Beyond, has also been a focus in some ways within that series as well. So check those out on the website. Um, as far as listener Q&As, we have two to go over. The very first one is from Sam. He said, hey guys, it's Sam. So I was looking at Batman Eternal teaser again and seeing if I could dig out any info out. So I saw Professor Pig and realized he is playing with a toy train. Do you think that it is all possible that maybe he orchestrated the subway incident? Also, in the teaser, Tim's mask has red lenses. Does this mean Tim could play an antagonist role in Batman Eternal? Because if you think about it, all of the Batman who have had red lenses have had have been evil darker. Jason's Batman, John Paul, Thomas Wayne, and in the photo, Titus has a Robin on his back. Do you think that Batman Eternal may pay, play a role in introducing a new Robin? Just some of my theories. Anyway, keep great... Anyway, keep making great shows. Bye. All right. So the first thing, well, actually, it was it was mentioned back in when when I did the interview with Scott Snyder and uh, James Tinian that the Professor Pig playing with the trains was actually just hinting at 
the situation that was happening in the first couple issues where Professor Pig is is he's he's involved with the train accident, but I don't think in any way that he orchestrated it. Um, as far as the red lenses, you know, I thought I saw that too. And I thought to myself after the last issue, we had the focus on the nanobots. Maybe he's actually taken over by the nanobots and that's what causes the red lenses or something. I don't know. I'm just, it's just a hypothesis at this point. Um, the Robin on Titus back. I, I don't really have any thoughts on that. I mean, we haven't even seen Titus, or the Alfred the Cat since the beginning of the, the series, so who knows if they'll actually play a role. I think it was just thrown in there to have those characters in there. Um, outside of, really, Batman and Robin, we don't see Titus really appear in any of the other titles. Um, and we haven't seen Alfred the Cat make an appearance for God knows how long. So yeah. who knows what's going on with those characters, or with those outside of Batman and Robin. But I don't know that necessarily Batman Eternal will play a role introducing the new Robin. Although, with the new Robin being promised by the end of the year, December of this year, um, could we see that take also then play into the pages of Batman Eternal? That's entirely possible because there's still going to be three more months of issues coming out at the end of Batman Eternal after the you know new Robin's revealed. So we'll have to wait and see and see what happens. It also is kind of iffy because how can you really take the events of what's happening in Batman and Robin and also have the things that are happening in eternal happening at the same time, since Batman is gallivanting all over the world, searching for the body of his son while Gotham is basically being destroyed in Batman eternal and Batman is constantly being distracted left, right all over the place, trying to, you know, be, you know, so that he's basically being run down as much as possible. So, those are my thoughts on those comments. The only thing I have to say is about the lenses. Um, I feel like red has been a, a prominent color ever since New 52 started. Um, just like red skies and everything. I think it sometimes points back to Flashpoint. Um, it also could be a coloring error, uh, given what we know about a certain um, uh, character that... I don't know if that's disclosed or not, <laughs> so I won't bring it up. Um, no, it has been disclosed. The, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that red, yeah, the Nightwing. I mean, that was a bit of the Nightwing character that clearly has blonde hair. That you know, at this point. But then again, maybe the idea wasn't that. Maybe the idea when this promo image released was that Dick Grayson was still going to be, you know, a character. He was going to dye his hair blonde, go by a different name, and maybe that was the plan. And he wasn't supposed to be part of this you know, super spy organization spiral. And that's just the, the idea that they decided to run with many, many months after. Let's also keep in mind that these plans were probably made after Mike Martz left. And Mike Martz was probably running a slightly different ship when it comes to the books. So maybe that, maybe that is the reason why the, the, you know, the character who we all assumed was Dick Grayson was supposed to be Dick Grayson. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, what happened was is they got a best-selling spy author to come on board and write a spy novel, and they gave him Dick Grayson. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what happened. So I think that, yeah, they probably completely changed where they're going to go with it. Absolutely. All right. It'd be so weird to see Tim as a villain. I think Donovan would have a conniption fit. Probably. Especially if he fought Cassandra Cain. He'd just die, okay. honestly, right Probably, there. yeah. All right, and then our other comment comes from Terry. Uh, he left his comment on the website. It says, hey, guys, another great episode. I loved your discussion on both Detective Comics issue and the Batman Eternal issue. I did have two questions, though, that I'd like you to respond to. 
When I read Detective Comics number 31, I thought the exact same thing about this being a very detective-oriented issue, and I loved it. My question, though, is what do you think makes an issue a detective-oriented issue, such as such that some are and some aren't, and if you can point to an issue arc story that really captures that detective element, what would it be? Also, a Batman Eternal number about Batman Eternal number 5, as I was reading the story about the nanobots, I began to wonder if those might have been what caused Gordon to see the gun with the guy in the train tunnel when no one else did. Batman did a blood test and found traces of drugging, or found no traces of drugging, but perhaps those nanobots could have altered his perception and gone relatively unnoticed by Batman. After all, Tim tells us straight away that Batman has obviously missed a part of the puzzle in regards to the nanobots. What do you think about this possibility? Keep up the good work. So first about the detective comics, well, the the one that immediately comes to mind as far as being very detective-oriented would be the story that Scott Snyder did prior to the New 52 in Detective Comics. Uh, It was the Black Mirror, but Dick Grayson was Batman. That was very detective-oriented to to a certain degree, Um, especially with the the lead into you know the the reveal of James Jr. and things like that. I thought that was pretty well, but realistically, there really hasn't been like a ton of like super detective stories. Um, Layman's run on detective comics, uh, especially towards the beginning, showed a lot of the detective elements. Um, but I think what makes what makes an issue d- d- detective oriented um, is is the focus on like the forensics type stuff. We've seen it. We've seen Scott Snyder do this in Batman too, where you know Batman does focus on the forensics here and there. But for the most part, it's really cool when you see them focusing on the forensics, and it's actually leading him to the next part of you know the solution, the next part of the puzzle. He's solving the next part, and it's moving him t- closer to the actual solution. So I think that's what really is something that is what makes a detective issue a detective-oriented issue, good. The thing is, when you have a story that just... And this happens a lot in detective comics. We see a lot of writers come on detective comics, say on and on that they're going to have, you know, oh, we're going to bring the detective element back to, to detective comics. And then they come on, they do it for like the first couple issues, and then it, it starts focusing on the heavy hitter villains and things like that. And people are like... What happened to the detective element? Now it's just a showcase of which villains can we tell a story about? Or, you know, which which villains are we going to create this month? As in the case with, like, with Tony Daniels run and things like that. So for the most part, it really just, it's a continuous thing. And so far with this run with uh, Manipool and Buccioletto, the, the it's it's been good. Um, I mean, obviously we're still early into their run. Who knows what's going to happen in the future, but so far it's been really good. And I think a lot of it with the fact that they did write Flash before this and Barry Allen is, you know, he's a forensic guy. So maybe that's the reason why they are so good about focusing on that kind of stuff. If you had to have me give you something, I would say Batman Broken City is a really good detective story. Um I read it a couple weeks ago, actually, on a plane. It's um, a good one, yeah. Yeah, I think Broken City is, a really good, is probably the best detective story I could think of. And then if you want one that's a little more mainstream, then like Dark Victory is actually a pretty good detective story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my, my if, if I had one, but it be Broken City, which if anyone hasn't read Broken City, that's a really good story. And it's short, too. I think it's like six issues. It's not too much to read. It should be the next. Uh, we should do that for a graphic novel segment, Ed. 
Oh yeah, if yeah, Broken City is really good. Yeah, I mean, I've actually not read it. it. I haven't, so it'd be interesting oh, to do like that. It. We should do that. Um, okay, yeah. yeah, I I guess what comes to mind is uh, <laughs> actually I think a lot of uh, about because um, my my history obviously is with Batgirl, and there are just some really classic stories of because they never really gave her. I shouldn't say never, but they really didn't give her a lot of. Um, mainstream villains i mean she like the cavalier and killer moth like those are kind of as high up as she would go and before she got into like weird supernatural stuff in the 80s it was very much like 60s and 70s was very much like street level crimes and gangs and and things like that and and there was certainly i remember a guy that like changed um the way he looked and, and had like this um, I don't know, this weird fetish for red-haired ladies. And, and so, it, like, he had a mask and everything. And, and it was interesting because I remember if it was multiple parts, which which often they were, um, you know, the editors would have left some clues in that first issue. And then at the end of the second, Batgirl, you know, has already figured it out. And the editors will say, she's figured it out, have you? And so a very, I, I think that they really had that locked down with the detective vibe. And so, I mean, I would recommend, I mean, maybe that's not what you're asking. You don't want anything to do with Batgirl. But but that was, I think, really the heart of the detectives. And, and I couldn't comment on what Batman was like back then. But the Batman stories that I've really loved, yeah, Dark Victory, Long Halloween, man. I, I love that story. I love rereading it. And that's just great and, and still a punch to the gut at the end because, like, it's still sort of open-ended. You're you're not 100% sure who the person was, who the holiday killer was. Um, so, yeah, so going along with that, which did Dark Victory, was that technically the sequel to Long Halloween? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, so there you go. If you're picking up Dark Victory, just go ahead and pick up Long Halloween first and read them back to back. But if you're interested in getting to know um, some Batgirl stuff, yeah, I, I recommend some some Silver and, and bronze, age, bronze Age stories. All right, and then for your second question, Anobots possibly having the effect on Gordon. That's entirely possible, and I think I think looked at, especially since I think a lot of us weren't really keen on the Nanobot making the appearance in the issue in the first place um in issue six but i think that at that point it is a possibility and um i think that we don't know the extent of what the nanobots can do other than what we saw in issue six but it can make things appear that aren't really there it's entirely possible that the nanobots but like stella i think the biggest problem like she said earlier is the fact that we have these things happen and then it goes multiple issues without going back to them. I mean, it was a, I mean, it's been a issue since we had Stephanie Brown and then she appears in eight. Um, you know, we had Batwing especially in issue five, and here we are with issue eight, and they still haven't made an, another appearance. Um, along with you know Joker's daughter, which I'd like to just forget exists, but um, but for the most part, we keep seeing this happen where there's characters now these nanobots. Who knows when we're going to see them again? Um, they're in issue six. They're not in issue seven or eight. Who knows the next issue is going to be that they're going to pop up in. The problem is that my my understanding, especially comparing this, uh, reading uh, Corbin Poole's reviews of uh, New Fifty Two Futures End, um, that that Batman Eternal is 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 very disjointed when it comes to you know having a fluid story. Where Futures End, instead of like telling one like one massive epic story that involves everybody 
everybody seems to be having their own little stories, but every issue you find more to those specific characters. There's like four or five storylines that they focus on in every issue, but you're focusing on the same characters and you're getting a progression for each character, every issue. This series, on the other hand, we started at the beginning. We were, we were introduced to, you know, as we pointed out earlier, tons and tons of characters and we can go weeks upon weeks without getting back to the characters. And that's the only thing that I think is the biggest problem. These nanobots, you know, we haven't really seen anything dealing with Gordon since I think it was issue four where Batgirl was in it. And here we are, issue eight, and we haven't had Gordon other than just, hey, he's locked up in jail. But nobody's to how could he have done this. Batman has basically given up the idea of that. He's just, you know, but now on you know, going to figure out what Falcone was up to before he came back to Gotham. Is that, and the same thing with the nanobots, who knows when we're going to see those next. So, I mean, there's a lot of elements in this story and I don't think it's, it's being pulled as well as it could be. Um, Instead of focusing so much in one issue on something specific and then going to the next issue and not dealing with it at all, be changing it a little bit. The only thing that seems to be constant is the the actual location of where Batman is issue to issue, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I, the nanobots thing honestly was so far from our mind when it was going on. It's perfectly. I just wasn't thinking of it like that, but yeah, it does feel like Batman Eternal. We're reading two or three books that are just kind of all mushed together, and mm-hmm. and some of them I, I quite like, like the the, the plot that has James Gordon slash Stephanie Brown in it. I like, and some of the other ones are getting a little off. So uh, hopefully this was just them getting their sea legs underneath them, so to say, and, and getting all these new writers and so much talent together that, that by issues 9, 10, 11, that they'll kind of get everything flushed out and running on track. Uh, no comment. All right. So with that, that is listener Q&As. Do you want to point out that if you have listener Q&As that you like read on the podcast, uh, we will now be exclusively taking comments only from the website, no longer taking comments from email. Um, if you want to email us, you can check out the website for contact information. But for the future, we would like your comments posted on the website. Uh, go to the website for the comments under the podcast post. Leave your comments there, and we will read your comments on the next episode. With that, I also want to remind everybody that we are still looking for staff for a number of different sections, news of the website. Also, I uh, just want to throw out there that we ha- do have a number of different areas of the website that we are, are, I should say, a number of different books that at one point we did have that were being reviewed, but at this point we have no one reviewing. Uh, currently, the books that we have open as of right now, this is speaking as of when I'm when we're recording this, not necessarily at a different point. So uh, we have Batman also have Batman and Robin, Batgirl, Birds of Prey, Batwoman, Batwing, Harley Quinn. Uh, we'll have Teen Titans and Suicide Squad come July when they release. So if you're interested in reviewing any of those books, uh, Batman Eternal and Detective Comics and Future's End have been really the consistent books that have been reviewed over the past two months. So if you are interested in reviewing any of those other books, even if it's just one of those books that once a month, I strongly suggest you to email us. Click on the Join TV app. It'll tell you exactly how to get in contact with us. We're also looking for people, like I said, to cover stuff on the news sections. And if you could believe it, we're still looking for people for the podcast. Uh, The normal podcast, we do have a couple of people, but we're still looking 
or more people. So if you're interested in hosting on the Batman vs. Normal podcast when we relaunch it at the undetermined time, be sure to email us and let us know that you are interested in that. Um, if you are interested in doing editorial regarding the website, be sure to check out the Join TBU staff banner at the top of all the pages on the BatmanUniverse.net. Click on that. It'll tell you exactly what we're looking for and how to get in contact with us, and we'll get you started working with us on the website. With that, also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer. Uh, currently, if you're losing, you know, if you need your fix for Batman news that's not related to the comics, I strongly suggest you check out the Bat Fans podcast, the Batman Universe Bat Fans. Find out all of the latest news as they are discussing it at length every two weeks. Also, be sure to check out the other comic-related podcasts that we have to offer, including Batgirl Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake podcast, and the Batman Universe Taking Flight. Um, dealing with a lot of the other elements within the Batman universe that we don't necessarily give a ton of coverage here on the comic cast to also be sure to check out the commentaries throughout the summer as we continue to release a number of different commentary episodes related to the Batman, the Batman animated universe, um, as well as all of the animated TV shows. And in to that, be sure to check out the news over on the website. Uh, lots of news related to Batman Arkham Knight, the new, the recently announced Lego Batman three. Um, we have news related to the Man of Steel sequel, which is now entitled Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, um, and news related to obviously everything movies, TV, merchandise, video game, and of course the comics as well. So be sure to check out the website. You can leave us reviews in iTunes; those are always greatly appreciated. And and with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. Uh, this is Ed. Um, <laughs> and this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye.